We'll be covering lots of ground this week, the value of such social networks as Facebook and Twitter. We'll talk about Apple's OS X Lion, the resignation of Steve Jobs, some of the lawsuits in the tech industry, and lots of other stuff with Adam Ingst of Tidbits Magazine and Take Control Books, and Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine on the Tech Night Owl Live. Coming back to our show this week is Adam Inkst of Tidbits Magazine and Take Control Books, and we're sure that Adam and his crew, including Joe Kissel and others, have written hundreds of thousands of books about Lion. <laughs> I'm not lying. We're, we're, at, we're at three now, I think, but we're working on the hundreds of thousands. So Hundreds of thousands of words about Lion. That's it. Words, not books. Okay. I understand now. Well, there was a crazy guy in this other field I delve in, the paranormal with the Paracast, where he claimed he had a 1,000-book contract. <laughs> and I figured, what's the two words a book? What, I mean, what's the record? Isaac Asimov? Actually, I mean, it's funny about books. If you want to talk about novels in general, there was a guy named Walter B. Gibson, a writer and former magician, who used the name Maxwell Grant to write over 300 novels about the shadow in the mm. 30s and 40s. Now, these weren't like huge novels, you know. They were, you know, 60,000 word books. But you call them novels. So I guess he wrote in terms of novels more than anybody I could imagine. There's also an author named Brad Steiger who writes about the paranormal and stuff, and he's written 165 or 170 books. <laughs> they need more, time, more things to do with their time. Well, this is the kind of writing that's ultimate hack writing. You don't earn a lot of money from this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not at all. They were making pennies a word back in the 30s and 40s. Of course, writers now are making pennies a word, too. <laughs> yeah, and that's with inflation, too. <laughs> you think writers are well-paid and they have these books and everything? As a matter of fact, what really happens here is that writers, you know, often have to have a day job. Yeah. Writing is one of those one of those professions which the problem is is that everyone wants to do it. And it's not very hard to break into doing it at a certain level and therefore there's a whole lot of supply which tends to cut the price and therefore no one can make a huge living at it you know if you're sarah palin you can make a million dollars on a book that somebody wrote for you if you're a celebrity you know, you can always yeah. make a book. And if you look at and if you look at real writers, the people who who do well are the people who, you know, there's some kind of breakout. You know, obviously J.K. Rowling is the ultimate example. You know, the the reality is is that there's a whole lot of books that are really really good done by really excellent writers that just never happen to be at the right place at the right time and um you know and there and that author is never going to make make a significant living from it but uh, i mean one of the things that that we've found with our books is that the 
main reason why we were able to get started was because we had the large audience um, with tidbits. If you're just a writer trying to break in, the odds are really, really low. You need to have some way of, of reaching people. And Twitter and Facebook are not by default. They might help but these days, but they are not it. I think they work if you're famous already to yeah, get the word out. Precisely. Sure. And then, and then if you're famous already, that's not your problem. <laughs> no, but you use it as another vehicle to reach your audience. But if you're an unknown, then you join the other, you know, 250 million unknown people trying to get something said in Twitter and Facebook, and you'll still be unknown. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I find, I find the whole social networking thing tremendously fascinating from a promotion standpoint. Um, much has been made about it. You know, there's whole firms that have come up around social media marketing and everything. And my experience is that it's one of those things that you sort of have to do to be out there to have the exposure, but that it's actually essentially useless. It doesn't get you more exposure. It allows you to keep in touch with your customer base, your listener, your reader base, your friends. Yeah. Yep. And so if you don't already have that base, it's unlikely to, to create a new one for you. But that doesn't stop some businesses saying that if you pay us a certain amount of money, we're going to get you more people following you on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've looked into this pretty seriously at various times, and you know, we've, we've done sales on Twitter. We've watched tidbits articles get mentioned on Twitter. We had a tidbits article that uh, Tim O'Reilly retweeted at some point. Um, he had, I don't know, at the time, about a 1.3 million Twitter followers, and we literally saw a handful of clicks on that link. So, you know, I don't know how many people saw it, but obviously the number of people who saw it was way below 1.3 million. And the number of people who clicked was, you know, literally, uh, you know, double digits. Well, when you look at a Twitter page, it's all clutter. You've got a zillion different three liners. And how do you figure out which of the three liners you pay attention to? And it's the same thing in Facebook. You know, if you have your wall, which is where you post public messages in Facebook, and you look at Facebook, and you have, you know, a main item, and then people adding comments, and you go through this, it's a mess. Yeah. How do you coalesce that into something that you could sell? Well, Except, of, of course, if you're in Egypt or somewhere, and you use Facebook or Twitter to get a hold of other demonstrators to help you, of course, fight for freedom, that's different. Well, I think in some ways it actually isn't different. And, and the way that you actually use Facebook and Twitter successfully in those, in those ways is that you really pay close attention. That if you just dip in and out, it can be very hard to keep track of what's going on. It seems very overwhelming. Whereas if you're sitting there watching it all day long, then every new event is relatively minor in itself and can easily be taken in. And so that's sort of the problem um, that actually a lot of people are facing with Facebook and Twitter is that it's not like you, you would spend that much time actually reading the text in them. It's more that to be able to be understanding what's going on, what conversations are being had, you need to give it a lot more attention than just the raw amount of text requires. Right. So if you don't spend a lot of time there, and I assume most people who visit Facebook and Twitter are dabblers. Um, well, you know what I mean? They're not spending hours a day except for their close friends. But if you are following somebody with, you know, a million followers, there are loads and loads of messages there, maybe for the fans, maybe to sell product or services. Do you really pick up a single thread of something you can act on? 
Well, there's a lot of different types of people. I mean, again, they, the, these people who have a million followers are also not maintaining conversations at all. They're they're treating it as post only. And of course so, they are, but it's their press people who do the conversations. They're not sitting there and writing their own. I don't think that a lot of famous movie stars, though some do, are sitting there writing their tweets every day. No, they pay a publicist to do that. Yeah, hard to, I don't I don't know about that one way or another. I just you know it's 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 not one of those things where it's easy enough to do, and and frankly they're badly enough written that I would be fully fully believing that most celebrities are writing many celebrities are writing their own. But again, you know that's that's I mean this difference between celebrities. There's a whole lot of people who are who are doing post only, who are you know posting links to in, what they consider to be interesting things, and those are the people who again tend to have the very very high volume of people who aren't just you know movie stars. And, you know, again, it's, it's one of those situations where you can do that because you're not, you're not engaging it, in it completely from you're do, if, if you're posting all that stuff, it's a very different activity than maintaining, those, maintaining conversations. The people who spend, tend to spend a huge amount of time on Twitter and Facebook are the people who really do interact with a large number of, of people in a conversation-like mode, because that's where you just have to be plugged in the whole time. You can't give it two seconds of attention every hour um, and uh, and expect to have a conversation. Almost a full-time job if you have time on your hands. <laughs> well, that's the problem is people often do have full-time jobs too. Well, in this day and age, maybe they don't anymore. <laughs> well, maybe that's why we have more interest, and that's very unfortunate that we've reached a situation where we have more time to spend on Twitter. But the other question, of course, is are they monetizing Twitter yet? Does Twitter make money? I guess Facebook does, but does Twitter make money? So much more to talk about, and we'll talk about Steve Jobs and lots of other topics. We have Adam Ingst of Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Hey, neighbors, meetings are an essential part of any business. You know, making presentations to clients, collaborating with your colleagues. Well, make them as simple as possible to run and organize. Use GoToMeeting by Citrix, the easiest, most reliable online meeting service. With GoToMeeting, you can schedule an online meeting in seconds. Attendees can join with just a click from anywhere. Meeting materials are viewed on everyone's screen, making collaboration seamless. GoToMeeting is so easy to use for you and everyone joining your meeting. Plus, with GoToMeeting, hold as many meetings as you can for one flat rate. You have phone conferencing and voice over IP are included. You know, my listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, a month of unlimited online meetings free. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods and you have a winning combination remember we offer free shipping on every order over $50 and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems visit big B-E-R-K-E-Y waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY that's big Berkey waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today for centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to fit your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver, that's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver, utopiasilver.com, or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338, utopiasilver.com, taking back America's health care one American at a time. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. We are back with Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books. If you go to tidbits.com, you see everything. It links to everything, one portal for all the stuff he does. So we were just briefly going into social networking and basically can a business use it to build a business from scratch or is it a way to keep up with your customers? What's the social graces involving all that stuff? And the other question, of course, would be in a situation like this, Twitter has millions and millions of people can twitter make money from this are they making money they seem to go through all this venture capital this week they got venture capital next week my understanding is they're not making money um 
it is a very, very good question of whether or not they can make money in any significant way. Usually what happens in these situations is, is that they either find some sort of business model in mean, Facebook with ads and um, obviously Twitter Twitter, you know, will be doing advertising in various different ways. And the other way that you can potentially do that is to basically sell your content. So for a while, Twitter and Google had, had a deal. But uh, if they don't manage to do it on their own, then what's more likely is is that um, some larger firm will end up buying them from for basically the the user base because the user base is useful if you can in some way get them to uh, to to do something of monetary value. So you think that maybe Microsoft, because of Bing, would buy Twitter or maybe Google. Those are the two two big ones. Obviously, um, it didn't ha- hasn't happened already, which means that the people who are in charge of Twitter feel that they have an option to make a lot more money and keep going as independent. Um, the thing that's interesting about Twitter is they have so many users and their valuation is so high that it would be hard for any company at this point to buy them and justify that based on what could probably be made from it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, obviously, if it, there have been many, many Twitter-like things, just like there were many Facebook-like services uh, that have come and gone, and, you know, how you get the, uh, the sweet spot, how you find that sweet spot where you can maintain the service and make money is a real trick. I mean, I've heard something the other day that I thought was just truly distressing. Alton Brown's TV show, Good Eats, um, which just ended after 12 years, and right. I haven't watched it much, not having television for the last bunch of years, but, you know, very, very well done TV show, was apparently basically a lost leader for him. That, that, you know, what that did is it got him exposure and speaking gigs and book deals and things like that, but that that TV show, wonderful as it was, did not make any money. And you think a person who puts on a TV show, a network show on cable, they've got to be millionaires. And certainly something as popular and well done, and this was, you know, again, this was, this went on for 12 years, there were rabid fans, you would think that they would, that it would be, that it would be a mon- at least a moneymaker, if not a vast moneymaker, and to find out that, it, you know, it, what it really was was a calling card, you know, to get, to make Alton Brown, you know, from a, from a business standpoint anyway, to make him into, you know, a celebrity chef, it's, I don't know, it's just a little depressing, I guess. Maybe he did it for a song. And maybe <laughs> the entertainment company he worked for played the song and dance game. Just back to social networking before we segue. Google Plus, is that going to go anywhere or is it another one of these Google initiatives that they have a little bit of a splash and then it sort of disappears? I find Google Plus really interesting, actually, partly because they, Google clearly learns from their mistakes with, say, Google Buzz, with Google Wave, things like that. And I like it. One of the things I like about it, honestly, is that it's not Facebook. And Twitter, you run into that 140-character limit. So there's just a limit to how detailed a conversation can get or a question can get on Twitter because of that limit. Whereas in Google+, you can say enough more that you don't run into those kinds of problems. Um, the other reason, other than the reason I find into Google+, interesting right now, is because it's invitation-only and you know, relatively small as as these things go frankly it's 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 got a whole lot of of smart people on it 
And so, frankly, the quality of the discussions that I've seen has been pretty high. And that's something that really does, you know, if it, if it can in some way maintain that, that will set it apart from some of the, you know, the Facebook type stuff. Where, But if they open it up for everyone, then, of course, the level of quality goes down. Back to Twitter before we split with that. 140 characters or whatever. Why that limit? Was there some logic behind it? I assume that it was related to the character limit in SMS text messages, because early on it was a very big deal that you could do Twitter via your cell phone um, via texting. Right. So I, you know that they had to pick a limit, and um, 140 characters plus some control character, you know, some control language characters um, to you know route the tweets right and all of that. Um, probably was, you know, fit into that 160, you know, 160 limits. So that's my guess. I don't, I don't know that, but uh, it would certainly make sense. Well, Apple wants to destroy SMS with iMessage. This is <laughs> iOS 5, folks, in case yeah. you don't know what I'm talking about. You know, about. I have to say, SMS messaging, it is, it's an amazing technology because it is so simple and so brain dead and yet obviously so useful and so widespread. I mean, to the point where cell companies are making billions upon billions of dollars on text messages. You have to think, what does it cost to maintain an infrastructure to allow you to send out text? And it's a fraction of what it costs to send voice, but they make a ton of profit on it. It actually doesn't cost anything. If you have the infrastructure to do voice, you have the infrastructure exactly. to do Exactly. It just because, piggybacks. Right. It's just the, well, it's just the control channel. You know that it's right. It's there by default. And I mean, the thing that bugs the heck out of me is, you know, as someone who you know has an iPhone but doesn't particularly make phone calls or use text messages, I feel that I'm paying a huge amount for basically the opportunity to make the occasional phone call or send five or ten text messages a month. And you know, and and the cell companies, they charge vast amounts for those kinds of things and I said much more for the text messages you know it's thousands of dollars per gigabyte in data that they're actually charging right even more than the data plans yeah. you consider the data plans what you're paying and then you consider what you're paying for this $30 a month unlimited family plan on AT&T for text and I know about that because when my son is in this country he lives in text yeah doesn't well, talk with people on the phone yeah, maybe he spent he was here a month from Madrid Spain visiting his friends, hanging out with the family a little bit anyway. And I'd look at him, and when he drives, of course, he had a rental car. He rented himself a car when he was here. He doesn't text when he's driving. He's not that silly. But when he was there with the phone in his hands, nothing to impede his attention, it was going constantly. And he's not you know, a 15-year-old. He's 25. Yeah. It's absolutely standard. And so, you know, the the cell companies have, have managed to keep those prices very high. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Texty, for instance. It's an app on the iPhone and a service that allows you to basically do text messages without paying for them. And uh, I think it's brilliant and I use it heavily and recommend it because I'm just so offended at the at the costs of text messaging for people who don't. I mean, if you use, sure, if you send 3,000 to 5,000 text messages a month, then, you know, 10, 20, 30 dollars a month is not a big deal. Yeah, you're really getting your money's worth then from the standpoint of you feel like you're getting value for what you do. Adam Inks, by the way, does not send 3,000 <laughs> text messages a month. He actually has a real job with his company. Adam Inks is joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg here in the Tech Night Out Live.
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number, 1-877-804-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes your free HD TV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade, and your free professional installation. And the best part? The pristine digital picture and sound. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. So, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Disable the cable, cut costs, and get more. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Ready to save? Then you're ready for the Super Summer Sale at Herbal Healer Academy. Herbal Healer has been the leader in quality natural supplements for 23 years. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on 500 parts per million colloidal silver. The best pharmaceutical grade available at all sizes on sale. Super Male Plex with Uhimbi and Super Femplex for summer toning. Buy glucosamine chondroitin 60 cap summer sale priced at only $12. Colon and answer 250 caps summer sale priced at just $18. And if your brain's a little foggy, we have a great supplement on sale called Memory Power. Log on and hit the postcard specials link for more super summer savings at HerbalHealer.com. As always, new customers get a free catalog with first order. Herbal Healer Academy, healing the world with nature one person at a time. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Then listen carefully because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins 
toxins and heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg. Adam Inkst of Tidbits and Take Control Books joining us. Now, what was it a couple of weeks ago? I'm sitting here writing something or doing post-production on one of the radio shows, and my wife comes in and she says, Steve Jobs quit. (laughs) How did you hear the news? It was actually interesting. I was having dinner with some friends, and the brother of the woman who I was with was a sales guy who works at Apple, and he called her. This was around 6.30 or so, 6.37 um, Eastern time at night. So, you know, it wasn't, wasn't at the computer and all that. And so she gets this call and, and, you know, and tells us, Steve Jobs just resigned. And, you know, and then you know, everything else started to light up as, ever, as people started, started texting. And not so much texting in this case, but, uh, you know, sending Twitter messages and whatnot. So, you know, luckily, uh, Glenn Fleischman and Jeff Carlson were still working because it wasn't, wasn't, you know, wasn't the evening their time on the West Coast. So, yeah, so I, I'll be curious if people, if there's, if there's a little bit of the, I remember where I was when. But uh, in this case, I do remember because it was just unusual hearing about it in this, in this way. Well, the one thing, of course, is that he's basically solidifying the role he's had for the past eight or nine months, where he was working in the background part-time, and Tim Cook was doing the day-to-day work. Yeah. It yeah, doesn't change really that. Changed. I mean, they're treating it like a eulogy that he's gone from Apple, but he's still an employee. He's still chairman of the board. Yeah. I mean, I think the the reason for the outpouring of of reactions is simply that it is an official way of marking it. It is kind of a big deal because, you know, he's been at Apple um, the second time since, what, late 1996. And he didn't even take the CEO position for a long time. I mean, he was acting or interim CEO, ICEO, as some people like to call him. And so he was, you know, it was a very big deal when he officially took the CEO job and, you know, really committed to Apple. And so I think it is kind of a big deal when he officially steps down from that post. But at the same time, from a practical standpoint, nothing changes in the near term. Obviously, the assumption is is that his health is the reason why he's doing it. I mean, he did say he would step down when he could no longer do the job. And so, you know, that's that's the other thing is that people are anticipating that this, this has this has been bad news on the health front. It may be that he can continue to live for quite a number of years without having to work or being forced to work full time. The doctor said, you want to live longer, cut back on your hours. (laughs) And that could be also. Entirely possible. I mean, you have to assume that being CEO of one of the largest companies in the world and certainly one of the most dynamic has got to be an exhausting job. 
you know, this isn't one of those things where, you know, you, call, you, you, you get in at 10, you know, you, you chat with people for a little while, you go out to lunch, you come back, you do a little bit, you go golfing. You know, it's not that kind of job. Well, there are some CEOs who do that kind of job, I think. <laughs> and there are yeah. others who work in Congress who take month-long vacations in the summer. And, and none of them are, are, are leading a company like Apple. You know, that's, you know, when, when push comes to shove, that's just exactly it, is that when you're, when you've got a company like Apple, which is moving so fast and pushing so hard all the time, um, you know, the CEO has to be on the job the whole time. And, and that's why I think really Tim Cook has, has been doing it for large chunks of the past couple of years. You know, he was CEO, COO before he was, you know, CEO. And so he's been doing a lot of that day-to-day stuff um, anyway. There could also be politics, a minor degree of politics for Tim Cook saying to Jobs, look, I'm being the CEO anyway. You know, I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life or whatever. I'd like some guarantees. I have a very hard time seeing that happen. Um, I mean, it's not that Steve Jobs can afford to lose Tim Cook. Well, or Apple it, yeah, and Apple and the board of directors gave him, what was it, a million shares of stock? Um, to keep him, right. That's yeah. an incentive to say you're a but lifer. That, but that happened after the fact. So, you know, we didn't see, we didn't, I mean, obviously it could have been the other way behind the scenes, but I'd be surprised. I mean, Cook had, you know, I'm sure Cook had been, been basically told that, you know, he was, he was in line, you know, they, Apple did have a succession plan. They wouldn't have a succession plan and then say, oh, by the way, Tim, um, we're, Steve's quitting and, and we're hoping you can, you can stay on as, as CEO. You know, he had to have known about this for years. I'm sure it probably was solidified back in 2004 when Steve Jobs first announced that he had pancreatic cancer. I think they solidified then and there saying, look, this is how it is. And if everything goes well, you'll be the CEO if I have to step down. That kind of conversation. Yes. You have to. I mean, one of the things that I think is a little deceptive for those particularly in some ways, particularly those of us who have watched Apple for a long time is that Apple long ago was a much less well-run company and things really the left hand really didn't know what the right hand was doing in some fairly major ways at this point however i think when you look at what apple's doing for the most part and it's not to say that they're perfect but for the most part everything they do is intentional they're not reacting to stuff. They're not making just stupid random decisions because someone's trying for a power play. That kind of stuff just doesn't happen at Apple anymore. And the, as a result, the company may not always be comprehensible from the outside, but I think it, you, you can't look at their success and say, it's just luck. You know, they just got lucky over the last eight years with nearly every product release. They've been thinking very, very carefully about every one of, of their decisions. And this is, falls into that exact same category. Well, setting the standard is certainly one thing. Look what they did when they entered smartphones. I was looking at an article written by one of our regular guests, Daniel Aaron Dilger, over at AppleInsider.com. And he's covering the various lawsuits against Samsung, for example, over look and feel. And you look at this timeline of smartphones, and you see them all looking like Blackberries with the little keyboard and everything. And then the iPhone comes out, and every other phone looks like an iPhone with a touchscreen. 
you know, they didn't come before the iPhone. As soon as the iPhone came out within months, they imitated it. You look at the tablets that everyone was designing, okay, before the iPad came out. As soon as the iPad comes out within months, all the tablets look like the iPad. (laughs) So you have to think here, how can you argue that these companies came up with this idea individually? The timeline is obvious. It doesn't matter if some pundit somewhere says, well, the aspect ratio of the Samsung versus the iPad, it's wrong, so the evidence is false. No, because the overall look and feel, even if the aspect ratio is slightly different, looks the same. Yeah. I, I do think there's a, you know, we do, we, we do live in a, in, a, in, a, in a world where things move towards a common appearance. So, you know, I mean, look at cars. Pretty much all cars look more or less the same at this point. And companies could come up with completely different looking cars, but they don't. You know, that, that there's expectations. And so, you know, there's no question that Apple has, has set some real design standards. But it is also not in the slightest bit surprising that other people are attempting to create products that fall within those design standards as well because that they, for better or worse, have become the standards. Well, of so, course, we understand that. Now, with cars... What you see is a lot of the designs are done in wind tunnels because they have to have low drag because they want to get maximum fuel efficiency. So they move parts around, and suddenly you see similarities. And then, of course, there is the ideal design of a car with that for good visibility, passenger room, etc. So you have a lot of similarities in that case. You have occasional exceptions, but even the exceptions have influences. Absolutely. And, and that's why I think, you know, it would be interesting to see, you know, what or to think about what of those constraints also apply to a touchscreen smartphone or a touchscreen tablet. Well, the argument you know? would be if there was no iPhone or iPad, what would they look like? We have Adam Inks of Take Control Books and Tidbits. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hey, neighbors. Meetings are an essential part of any business. You know, making presentations to clients, collaborating with your colleagues. Well, make them as simple as possible to run and organize. Use GoToMeeting by Citrix, the easiest, most reliable online meeting service. With GoToMeeting, you can schedule an online meeting in seconds. Attendees can join with just a click from anywhere. Meeting materials are viewed on everyone's screen. Making collaboration seamless. GoToMeeting is so easy to use for you and everyone joining your meeting. Plus, with GoToMeeting, hold as many meetings as you can for one flat rate. You have phone conferencing and voice over IP are included. You know, my listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, a month of unlimited online meetings free. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code PODCAST. That's go to meeting.com, promo code podcast. 
You know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA, but Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars, and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Positive results from satisfied customers of Heart and Body Extract continue to pour into our website, hbextract.com. This is Al from New Jersey. One day I saw your ad for Heart and Body Extract, and it mentioned that it would help me with angina, so I decided to order. I figure I had nothing to lose. Heart and Body Extract supplies your body with everything it needs to balance itself and maintain optimal heart and circulatory health with no negative side effects. I took the formula three times a day as directed, and I kid you not, within four days, my angina pain was completely gone. Order HB Extract by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. I could not believe it actually stopped the pain. Heart and Body Extract actually works. This is just an amazing product. Even the numbness in my hands is completely gone. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. Adam Inks of Take Control Books and Tidbits joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. And I'm thinking here, as you were talking, obviously coalescing around certain design constraints, if there was no iPhone, if there was no iPad, what would tablets and smartphones look like? Again, are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
their drugs to make sure that uh, that you're getting what you ordered. Viagra, Cialis, Boniva, Amplify, Lipitor, Nexium, or Zetia. It's meds.freetalklive.com. Let's go to uh, Shadow in Huntsville. Shadow? What's that, Shadow? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, somebody was coming around there for a moment. Yeah, okay, yep. here I am. Yeah, I was uh, just looking at uh, across the street earlier, and I seen uh, a couple a cop pulled a person over, and uh, they went into the driveway thing, this apartment thing, or said mess with them for a while, and then called another one. The other two cops just got up and stood around their cars. Then, of course, they let them go, and then the guy drove on out and went on toward where he lived at and everything, and, uh, and then the cops wanted you know, and it used to be when they were doing this. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. Adam Inks of Take Control Books and Tidbits joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. And I'm thinking here, as you were talking... Obviously, coalescing around certain design constraints, if there was no iPhone, if there was no iPad, what would tablets and smartphones look like? Again, we go back to the BlackBerry model. Would they have all adopted touchscreens as Apple did? Well, I think once someone adopts a touchscreen, then that changes a huge amount. So, for instance, like if you look at the original Kindle, it it had a little... Blackberry-like keyboard, and it's a horrible, horrible keyboard. You know, it's one of those keyboards that makes you want to gnaw your arm off. But the fact was is that that was, you know, that was sort of the only way they could see to get any kind of input on an e-ink screen. And so that design constraint, you know, if you're going to have an e-ink screen, you pretty much had to, and, and you wanted textual input, you pretty much had to have a keyboard. As soon as you go to a touch screen, you know, you don't have to have a keyboard. You might you know, you could potentially have a keyboard, but then I think, you know, the question is, you know, how do you fit it on in terms of the space and, you know, phones have to be within a certain a certain physical realm. As it, I'm not disagreeing that Apple shouldn't have, you know, that their, that their design patents and whatnot shouldn't be valid. I'm just saying that it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that people are going with stuff that looks a whole lot the same. And, you know, this is where you get into that question of, well, what exactly should you be allowed to patent? And the other question is, that is the biggest issue of all, which is, are these patents so broad that once you get a basic concept of a design, you've got it, and nobody else has a chance to get into that market? Precisely, because, I mean, obviously, it makes no sense to say, well, Apple came up with the touchscreen touchscreen smartphone, and so now no one else can possibly make a touchscreen smartphone. I mean, that's that's patently false, to uh, reuse the term. Well, that's nonsense, but (laughs) the question is, of course, how closely does the look and feel? And that can cover a lot of constraints, you know. How closely does the look and feel remind you of the iPhone? that it seemed like a knockoff. And if Apple can show the courts it's a knockoff, it's not an original design, that's how they got that injunction in Germany. That's how they're keeping these Galaxy tabs from being sold in Australia. 
Yeah, and that's what I mean. That's what's what I find fascinating about the whole thing is trying to see. You know, I mean, obviously Samsung is basically doing the the argument from you know what else would you do? You know that 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 type of argument. Whereas Apple is saying you know whatever else you might have done, you chose to do exactly what we did, and that there was intent behind that. The most interesting thing I saw about that recently, I think it was on the free and open source patent, um, free and open source software patent blog, where I guess there was some talk because Andy Rubin, who did Danger and Sidekick and then went to Google to, to do Android, um, actually worked at Apple before that. And that the claim, and Apple's claiming that he actually came up with some of those ideas while at Apple and therefore they belong to Apple. And they have a specific patent yeah. that they're pointing to. Now, there's this crazy email from Andy Rubin, which doesn't sound very good. It's about using Java. And remember that Oracle, which owns Java now, is suing Google. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that particular email. But yes, what we're really seeing here, and, uh, and this is something you know, we, with the, the whole Nortel acquisition, uh, the pat- Nortel patent portfolio acquisition that Apple and RIM and Mo- Microsoft paid $4.5 billion for, and then Google's $12 billion acquisition of Motorola Mobility, is that the patent uh, system is just completely broken. That the whole point of it is to give companies a limited time to make money off of their inventions in exchange for giving them back to the public after that point. And, you know, the idea is to promote innovation. The idea is to say, okay, you know, you can, you get a limited, a limited monopoly on your, on your, on your creation as a way of saying that then other people will be able to take what you've done and innovate further. And it seems pretty clear at this point when when these companies are spending so many billions of dollars just to have defensive patent portfolios that innovation is not happening. The email from Andy Rubin quoted, it's suggested to do Java anyway and defend our decision, perhaps making enemies along the way. That's the email. That's the portion of the sentence that seems incriminating <laughs> yeah you know but then, then again he's not the only person who said something dumb in email well and you know ask for ask for forgiveness not permission something like that yes company, that's about and, what and it certainly says. it's not it's not like apple hasn't done that numerous times i mean with say the name of the iphone and uh you know a number of other uh situations where they have they have decided they wanted to use something and whether or not someone else owned that trademark uh, was irrelevant to apple and they would deal with it later and they have always dealt with it later like cisco yes. owns the name iphone folks so, of course, Apple released the iPhone and they went to Cisco and said, Hey, guys, I got a check. Nice big fat check. You don't mind letting us use the word iPhone? And they said, Sure. <laughs> well, and, yeah. And it, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, anything can be negotiated. And it's what it comes down to. And Apple is not going to go to Cisco and say, Hey, we're thinking about doing this thing. And, you know, maybe it'd be okay if we used your name. And, um, and you know, maybe we can make it worth your while. Apple's not going to do that. They're going to, they're going to, you know, going to release, keep it be completely, uh, you know, keep the surprise, keep the, 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 public relations win of, of just having this blast appear. But they know who owns it. They know full and well And they who know owns their it. lawyers will say, this is what it's going to cost 
to get the rights. And and you have to assume that as soon as that public announcement goes out, that there were you know messages between lawyers that were scheduled for that time as well. Here's now, a as heads you've up. Seen, we just released. Let's a talk. Today. I'm sure you could use some money. And Cisco's had a few financial problems along the way. So why not? They're all businesses. You know, it all comes down to money. And you know, Apple works with Cisco. They have a pretty decent relationship with them. On this show, we have a good relationship with Cisco. We have them on the show occasionally with home networking tips and everything. So, you know, there you go. What can you say? Let's move to the other two topics left for our little episode. Lion. Now, I saw an article last week that Windows 8 is going to have these monochromed icons like Apple is doing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, can't they think parts. of something new? This is, again, that situation of coalescing around a single design, you know, where everyone went to touchscreen after the iPhone came out. And now Microsoft says, okay, gee, we got to have elements of our mobile platform, Windows Phone 7 and Windows 8. You know, that's our new idea. Oh, Apple did that already? Good, we'll have monochrome icons. They did that already? And the monochrome icons, as I said, that's one of the worst parts of Lion. <laughs> the the only thing I can, you know, again, to, to, to um, slightly be consistent with what I'm saying is that design trends, um, even in aesthetics, also do, can, do have a place. There are groups um, that actually get together every year and decide, like, what the, the next season's colors of clothing are going to be. And there are fonts. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. In the second hour of the Tech Night Out Live, we have Adam Ingst of Tidbits and Take Control Books. And we're talking about design aesthetics as it applies to smartphones, tablets, Mac OS X Lion, or OS X Lion, excuse me, you can't say Mac OS X. Oh, anymore. no, no, you have to say Mac. It is incorrect to say OS X Lion. Right. But Apple says OS X Lion. Now, Apple PR explicitly told us when we, we queried, the official name is Mac OS X Lion. They use OS X Lion in, in certain places in their marketing material on their website, but that is not the official name of the operating system. It's just a marketing thing. Just a marketing thing. Okay. It looks better. It's the design thing. That's <laughs> oh, drives us crazy. Minimalist. Crazy. Minimalist. That's Apple. Okay. So I'm looking, for example, I'm using Audio Hijack Pro to capture the audio. And I'm looking at the sidebar, which is all the old-fashioned colors. 
for the icons. And I go to the finder and I go click on the finder. I here's a click. There's a click everywhere a click click. And now I'm looking and it's all these shades of gray. Now I guess if I was colorblind, I'd appreciate this. <laughs> well, if you were colorblind, you wouldn't notice. <laughs> well, all I'd notice is the label. Right? I look at the label or the shape. The shape is still distinctive. Yeah. But the question is here, do you see the shape faster or the color faster? Or does it matter or maybe Apple doesn't care? Um, to me, this is purely an aesthetic design decision. I do not see how this improves usability in any way because regardless of whether or not some people are colorblind or whether some people see shapes better than colors, plenty of people see colors better than shapes. That's why traffic lights have colors. Um, and, you know, we, we live in a color-filled world, and color cues are tremendously important. So, you know, I cannot see any functional reason why they would have done this. It strikes me as purely the, 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 the attempt they have to get things to look exactly the way they want. For What's the, the fad of the week? Yeah. So, you know, five years from now, there'll be an OS X or Mac OS X version, and it'll be you know 10.9 or whatever it is or 10.9 a half before you get to 11 and they'll go back to colors you know yeah and we i assume something like that will happen at some point because i really do think it's a functional step backwards um but one of the things that has been true of apple is this is this they really don't like people to be able to adjust the look of their macs that when Steve Jobs came back from Apple, actually, one or came back to Apple, one of the things that started to go away that had been sort of increasing were the various um, skins and, and themes where you could actually make your Mac look quite a lot different. And those, you know, the, the operating system support for that went away. You know, everything that Apple did went away. You can barely select, you know, you can switch between, you know, gray and blue now, and that's it. Um, and you can get a couple of different highlight colors. And, you know, all those utilities pretty much stopped stopped happening. And some of that was technical, but I think a whole lot of it was aesthetic, that Steve Jobs wanted Macs to look like Macs and did not want them to look like other things. All about branding. And yes. for the average user who never touches preferences, it doesn't matter. For the power user, there are always third-party utilities that will mess around with something to make it different. There are many opportunities to mess things around because you have all these utilities that go into the terminal and they play games with it, and they change different interface elements. Yeah, although even there, I think it can be tricky to uh, to do a lot of the things that we were able to do back in, say, Mac OS 9. Sure. So, you know, Apple just decided they wanted to lock things down. Isn't it? Some of it was technical, because when you can go in and modify window trimmings, that's in essence a way that you can go in and modify memory, and as soon as you've got that, then you've got a security hole. So you're tightening up the system. You're also providing consistent branding. But it looks more and more that Apple wants to basically hide the operating system from the user. Unless you're a power user, they're taking away things so that you can concentrate more on the focus of the app and the that's document. Absolute, that's absolutely true. And, and in some ways, it's a good thing. I mean, the operating system is not something that you should have to look at. That, that you know, you, you, we don't use our Mac so that we can move icons around on the desktop. 
we use our Macs so that Speak we can... Speak for yourself. <laughs> I understand that you actually like piling them up, and when you're bored, you know, you make little patterns. But, but I'll tell you what us, I did. Let me tell you a story here. Back in the early 90s, I was working at a design studio in New York City. This is 1990, 1991. There was an application called Click Change. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I do. And you create all sorts of crazy, funky designs. So in our downtime, when we didn't have a lot of work to do, we'd sit there and take Click Change and start taking our Macs and making them look weird. The problem is it was also buggy as anything. So it caused your Mac to crash a lot. So after a couple of weeks of this, the management would come over and say, why is your Mac crashing so much? Oh, get rid of that silly design. Is that what's doing it? Okay, get rid of it. So we got rid of it. But I used to visit people and used to provide on-site consulting and help with people's Macs. You can't do that anymore because you have the genius bar. Put us out of business. But I go and do those things, and I'd run into people who turn their Mac into heaven knows what <laughs> with all this system configuration. But everything had a price, not just security, but stability. And to have the most reliability, you have to, I guess, take away the opportunities to get into trouble. But Microsoft, on the other hand, just adds more possibilities to get into trouble. <laughs> Well, it's absolutely true that the, and that was a lot of the reason why Apple started started eliminating that those kind of hooks into the operating system. And more and more of them are going away with Lion, honestly. That Lion really, Apple wants applications to do very, very proscribed things because it makes for a more secure system. So one of the things they're adding is um, uh, sandboxing, where... You each app can only do things from a set of prescribed activities, and if you set your if you program your app in this way, it even if someone were to take it take it over, it simply wouldn't have those other capabilities. There's other things like code signing, so that the the operating system knows that the app has not been tampered with, and that's required now if you want to put an app in the apps Mac App Store. And so Apple's doing a lot of things, some by some, you know, some with a carrot and some with a stick, to push Lion in this direction where the operating system really does go more and more into the background. But you know, I think for the average user, that's a good thing. It is. They shouldn't it, have to think about the operating system. I mean, when you go to your TV set. And there's an operating system on there, probably a Linux-based operating system that allows you to run those menus, an embedded operating system. You don't have to think about that. You don't want to think about that. You just want to think about, okay, I'm going to change the brightness of the picture, or I'm going to switch the inputs. Yeah. And you don't even want to think about that. You want the brightness to be correct, and you want the inputs to just automatically do the right thing. Well, maybe we're arguing then for the official Apple TV. The real Apple TV, which is, of course the product that actually gets that right. Well, you don't have to worry about that. You can just turn on your TV set. You take it home from the store, and it's not set super bright, which is another problem with TVs, by the way. They're always super bright because they want to stand out. Look at me. Look at me on the bright showroom floors at Best Buy. Of course, you don't watch TV on the bright floors at Best Buy. They do have, you know, these areas that are supposed to mimic living rooms where you see the TVs in a dark setting. You can't have a TV with the brightness turned all the way up that way. You also use more power. You know, you want to conserve electricity. Yeah, I was quite shocked. I have some Dell monitors, and at some point I was hooking them up to a power meter um, to see how much power they consumed. And 
dropping the brightness really cut the power usage. And they, these things were almost painfully bright to look at in their default mode. We have a plasma TV set. Plasmas traditionally use more power. And I'm running the brightness probably halfway because that's all you need to do. If you calibrate that set, you don't want the brightness all the way up because you're watching the TV in dimmer surroundings. Half brightness is fine. Of course, as the TV set ages, you know, you'll have to turn the brightness up somewhat. I don't know where we started with this, but we're all talking about design, control, aesthetics, the operating system, getting the operating system out of your way so you can actually be productive. We're talking with the very productive Adam Inkst. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number, 1-877-804-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes your free HDTV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade, and your free professional installation. And the best part, the pristine digital picture and sound. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. So, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Disable the cable, cut costs, and get more. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a flaw free enterprise, or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states it's what every American needs to know about central bank power. A gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. Local Army Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military issue supplies. They're right here online at mainmilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits, magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches, first aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bail, and a huge Molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. 
Why is it so many people suffer from so many illnesses today? Why don't doctors know how to help you? Could it be that our doctors don't know how because there's a nutrition solution and they only know about drugs? Over 68 diseases are known to be connected to a deficiency of glutathione. The missing ingredient to increasing your body's production of glutathione is cysteine. Raising your glutathione production protects you from cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. Nature's richest source of cysteine is unheated whey. Heating can damage much of the cysteine. One World Whey is the first undamaged whey protein powder on the market. Using One World Whey may support optimal glutathione production, unlike any other food or supplement you've ever taken. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightall.com slash radio that's technightall.com slash radio or check us out at iTunes we have Adam Inks of Take Control Books and Tidbits and we were talking about the way Apple has simplified Lion, the latest operating system to not get in your face quite as much but how far can you go with that I mean there's talk where Apple is going to merge the mobile operating system, iOS, with Mac OS X. Does that make sense to you? They already are, share a core base. You know, iOS is Mac OS X at the base. And to my mind, it does make sense that Apple will continue going in that direction with the Mac because it meets the same design goals. They want it to be accessible to people who don't have a lot of experience or who, for whatever reason, have never really quite done well with the, the classic Mac OS. That they want to let people focus on one thing at a time rather than having a bazillion windows and icons and things bouncing and jumping and all that. They want to have something which is, frankly, locked down so that it cannot be exploited for security reasons. You know, security is becoming a huge, huge deal. The only way that makes any sense at all for security to be managed on a personal computer is via the operating system. Users simply do not know enough to protect themselves in any significant way. Against they shouldn't it. have to. Yeah, they shouldn't have to, but they but they're never going to because it's you know be, having your computer hacked is not like having someone break into your house. The equivalent would be having someone break into your house and live there and run a you know a gambling den from your house without you noticing for six months. That's well, you ridiculous. see what's wrong with computers now. Even then, although it's largely a Windows problem, go to any TV station or radio station, and you'll always hear ads for these online PC diagnostics. Diagnostic programs where they'll check out your PC, they'll get rid of malware, they'll clean up the registry, do all this nonsense to make your computer just run. <laughs> and yeah, we've had a yeah. couple of little you know, things going on the Mac, but nothing like stuff. that. 
Well, and the couple of things that we've had go on the Mac have not gone on on iOS. Apple keeps releasing security updates for iOS, but we haven't had any significant security problems on iOS. You know, the closest you can get is the fact that jailbreaking keeps happening because every jailbreak is a security hole. Regardless, the fact is is that computers are too important now. They are identity, they are money, they are communications. And as a result, they need to be protected. And so, you know, as much as I understand fully and and even sympathize largely with the people who say, it's my computer, I want to control what it does. Um, And that's true for me, too. You know, but for most people, I just can't see them knowing how to manage um, all the the complexity of security and updates and, you know, social, social engineering problems and all that kind of stuff. Well, remember here the Mac... Defender virus or Trojan horse. It's all about social engineering. They made you think you had a virus on your Mac, and hey, we'll sell you this product. It'll get rid of that virus, except that you never had a virus, and it's only there to collect your monthly payment. Yes. That was a real wake up call because I mean I you know a friend of mine a friend of mine's uh, MacBook was infected not because he had the problem he w- fell for the problem but because his ten year old son did and you know and and you know and the son you know knew that there was a uh, you know there was this thing had asked for a password and so he went and got his mother to get to type in the password and you know she wasn't really paying attention she just typed in the password assuming he knew what he was doing and, uh, and poof they were infected and you know obviously they didn't get as far as you know paying for the antivirus software but nonetheless it was an entirely understandable vector for for infection. You can't avoid that kind of stuff. Well, the thing is, too, you do so many things by rote. You're busy. You're on the phone with somebody, and there's that thing. The prompt comes up. Enter your password. Hold on a second. Let me just enter the password here. (laughs) And you're not thinking, what is this password about? You can't think about it because you're on the phone, and you're doing a business deal. And you're trying to talk about different figures, very complicated things, and that little corner of your mind that sees the password, you type it in. Yep, it's very easy to make that mistake. That's the kind of social engineering. We're just clicking on the wrong site in email. You get an email from something. I'm by the way, we got double spam filtering on our email. I don't take chances. Even then you get a few. You click on the wrong thing, you go to the phishing site, and if you don't think you can do a lot of stupid things. And that's exactly why Apple's doing this kind of stuff, is they know that people need all the help they can get. And it just takes time to work these technologies in, to tune them so they're hopefully not and intrusion. I mean, that's one of the problems. You can run antivirus software, but if you sort of give it full control over what to do, it'll be slowing your computer down because it's constantly checking everything that goes on in the background. And it's not inherently a bad approach, but it's, you know, it, it has its price and the, the price is the performance cost. Well, today, though, I don't think that the antivirus software that is available for the Mac really has that much of an impact on performance. Macs are so fast, their bite is minimal. Of course, the question is, do you need that stuff? Yeah. Yeah, at this point, Mac Defender actually was a, was a sea change for me. Um, I had not recommended, or I'd recommended specifically that Mac users didn't need antivirus software until Mac Defender. After Mac Defender, I decided that it really, you know, that that had changed. That then, you know, with the advent of this incredibly sophisticated social engineering and um, just the ability, the increase in the audience, such that people were going to be less and less technically adept. If you are not the 
sort who knows what's going on on your computer already. You don't keep up with the news on the, in the Apple world so that you wouldn't hear about a new virus or Trojan. Then yes, you probably should be running antivirus software because you need that help. You need something in there to just double check for you. And as I said, the latest, the best antivirus software for the Mac, and there's several different ones. They don't take that big a bite out of your Mac's performance anymore. It's not like the old days where it take twice as long to start up or to yeah. launch an application. It's not that noticeable anymore. Not really. Yep. That's where it goes. Tell us what's coming up over at Tidbits and Take Control Books these days. Well, we have a couple of things in the works. Uh, next two big books. Actually, we have a book on Spotlight coming out, okay. which is interesting because I don't like Spotlight. I've never liked Spotlight. And as much as it slightly pains me to say this, um, I think I was wrong. <laughs> that Ham's the Apple, best of us. That Apple has done a terrible, horrible, no good, awful, rotten job in explaining what Spotlight can do and exposing all of the cool things that it can do just from typing. You don't need to be using these complicated, the complicated interfaces, which actually aren't even all that good. You don't need to be fussing around with it in the ways that, uh, that you sort of feel like it's just this kind of powerless interface. So this is and Take Control of Spotlight. The full title is Take Control of Spotlight for Finding Anything on Your Mac, because we were a little worried that people wouldn't just know what Spotlight was. And Who they wrote it, by the way? Sharon Zardetto. Oh, of course. She's an and, old friend of ours, yes. Tell our listeners where to go to check out more information. So, yes, yeah, so if you go to www.takecontrolbooks.com, that should be out next week. And after that, we also have uh, Take Control of Backing Up Your Mac, which will be our the latest installment in our backups book from Joe Kissel. <laughs> Adam Inks, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks for having me, Gene. Hey, neighbors, meetings are an essential part of any business. You know, making presentations to clients, collaborating with your colleagues. Well, make them as simple as possible to run and organize. Use GoToMeeting by Citrix, the easiest, most reliable online meeting service. With GoToMeeting, you can schedule an online meeting in seconds. Attendees can join with just a click from anywhere. Meeting materials are viewed on everyone's screen. Making collaboration seamless. GoToMeeting is so easy to use for you and everyone joining your meeting. Plus, with GoToMeeting, hold as many meetings as you can for one flat rate. You have phone conferencing and voice over IP are included. You know, my listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, a month of unlimited online meetings free. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity 
simplicity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 800- 346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins. Toxins and heavy metals boost energy levels and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. With Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com, in a recent interview, Avram was talking about the arrival of Google+, Plus, which, of course, is Google's answer to Facebook and the huge market share that Facebook has. So now that Google+, Plus has been out for a few weeks, still with specially selected members, it's not open to everybody, what's your take on it? You know, it still feels to me like a kind of a, a clone of Facebook, but I do see nerdier people using Google+. Plus. So I try to update both my Google Plus and my Facebook about the same amount. Uh, but what I find is I get a lot more response from people I know on Facebook. And I have a lot of strange, unknown followers on Google Plus, which I actually love, but I don't get a lot of feedback from them. Uh, so I think Google Plus is more for casual relationships. feels like it's more for casual relationships and Facebook seems to be more for people that you know well or know 
better. Well, is it also part of the problem that Google Plus is still very small and the crowd that's joined, other than those, of course, specially selected, that crowd is very much in the geek mold? Uh, Yeah, I think that's part of the issue. I just found it interesting the other day. I always treat my Facebook and my Google Plus and my Twitter, my all my social media outlets is, is kind of public. You know, so I don't say anything on there that I wouldn't want, you know, my, my current boss or a future boss to see. Uh, so I, I use them to promote my articles and to kind of promote myself. Uh, so I really don't care who, who follows me. I want people to follow me on, on those mediums. Uh, but I found it very interesting that the other day I tried to, you know, friend a colleague who was a big follower of mine on Google+. I tried to go and friend him on Facebook, and he sent me this this kind of angry note where he was like, you know, my Facebook is just for my friends and family. I'm rejecting you, you know, on Facebook. And I was, and he's not the first person that I've actually heard that from where, you know, I've been kind of promiscuous with my Facebooking, like all Facebook people that I just met or, you know, whatever, or people that I, you know, that I've corresponded with online, uh, because I'm not saying anything on there that I wouldn't want them to see, but, you know, I, I've heard from a number of people, I actually got kicked out of, a, you know, someone's face, Facebook, not because it was just me, but she said, I'm kicking out all my professional contacts and I'm only using Facebook for my family. So I, I kind of think it's interesting that people are taking that approach with Facebook, but they're not taking it with Google+. And on Google+, I've had a lot of people following me. I've shown up as recommended or something. I think Robert Scoble put me on his list, and that helped me, where I'm getting like 10 or 20 new followers a day who I absolutely have no relationship with, who I think I've popped up on some recommendation list, and they've just followed me. So I think people are less picky about Google+, and they see it as more public than they see Facebook. Now, I guess that goes into the overall picture here of how these are doing. Is Google eventually going to try, do you think, to open it up to everybody and be the true alternative to Facebook, and doesn't that dilute its value? Uh, I guess so. You know, I think, you know, having used both services for a while now, honestly, I don't get the distinction technologically. Like, yeah, you have a few different features, on Google Plus, like you have, uh, you know, you have the group video chat and so on, but you also now have video chat on video chat on Facebook, and you have group chat on Facebook. I mean, honestly, you know, for all the talk about is Google Plus better than Facebook, it's really, really quite quite similar. I think the question is, what is the culture of Google Plus? And right now, you're right; it's a nerd culture. I think there's. The question is, what happens when more and more people join Google Plus? I mean, it has become a thing where I think so many people are on Google Plus right now that it's pretty much going to be Facebook shortly. I think the question is, what are businesses going to do? That's when we'll, that's when we'll see the distinction. Are businesses going to embrace it? They haven't provided functionality where you can a business can set up a Google Plus a, a Google Plus page, uh, like you can set up a Facebook page for your business. So, I think we'll we'll see whether Google Plus uh, really goes mainstream when we see what kind of services Google provides for businesses. Right now, they've provided a nice Facebook clone. Uh, but I don't think it offers anything different than Facebook offers. And the other question I would have to raise, Avram, is how much free time do people have to participate 
in all these social networking situations. Uh, I mean, you've got Google with Google Plus, but then you have Facebook. You have hundreds of millions of people who've invested a lot of time building family albums, making friends, staying in touch with their contacts. We have people who have learned to become whizzes at 140 characters on Twitter. No. Uh, we don't need one, but uh, Google wants us to have one, and it is very convenient. So I think what's going to happen is there's just going to become more of a blurring of the lines between the different social networks, and we're going to need more tools like TweetDeck, although that doesn't support Google Plus yet. We're going to need more aggregation tools that just kind of blur the line between the different social networks, allow you to post in multiple places at the same time, and and then it's not going to be that relevant which one you're on. And in fact, at a certain point, it becomes kind of annoying. It's sort of like which instant messaging software are you on? That was the big, I think that was the big question, you know, five or ten years ago. Are you on AOL Instant Messenger? Are you on ICQ back then? Are you on Yahoo Instant Messenger, Google Talk? Which one is it? You know, email is the one... You know, it's the one really democratic uh, form of communication online where you can, you know, email works no matter no matter who you send it to, they're going to get it. Whereas you have to be a member of Facebook to Facebook people, you have to be a member of Google Plus to Google Plus people. I think what we're going to see is is more of a blurring of the lines and and, and people just getting getting sick of this. I'll tell you what, of course, happens here, which might be part of a trend also some applications chat applications support multiple protocols so for example i have apple's iChat under os 10 lion and i can connect with yahoo i can connect of course with aol users mobile me users of course that's going away and also facebook users and you know a few other protocols are in there if you hack the thing around a little bit so the point is that, at least for me, most of the places I need to instant message with, I can do. I can't do MSN, but it's inevitable that's going to be part of the mix eventually. I think that's what's, and that's what's happening with social networking. I mean, you see aggregation software, you get a phone, you get like an HTC phone, and it has friend feed uh, widget on it, which, allow, which gets Twitter and Facebook and things like Flickr. And I'm sure Google Plus will be added to that mix too. So it will blur the lines. And then at that point, there's not as much incentive for people to sign up for all these different things. People are going to have to become kind of smart consumers of this technology and decide, you know, which do they want to sign up for. There's, it's really just a matter of convenience at this point. I think businesses are going to play a big role in deciding that though because if you want to use, there's a big ecosystem of Facebook apps and people like them and they like their Bejeweled and all that stuff. Uh, they're good, those same businesses are going to have to embrace Google Plus if it's really going to succeed. Well, wouldn't it also have to be a really different alternative? Because, you know, if you assume the Mac and Windows are the same, which they're not, although I guess in a raw sense they are, then it doesn't matter which you use, so you use the one with the largest market share. So if people perceive Google Plus as just being another Facebook, well, all their friends are on Facebook. Why bother with Google Plus? What's the point? I think the fact that it's integrated into your Google account and that so many people have Gmail accounts and have some kind of login with Google makes it hard to avoid. 
and therefore it will, and, and there's no reason to avoid it. Like, it's perfectly good service. It just doesn't really offer much that Facebook doesn't at this point and, and lacks some things that Facebook has. Don't forget to write us, news at technightowl.com, news at technightowl.com. I'll tell you what, we'll have much more with Avram Pilch at Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number, 1-877-804-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes your free HDTV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade, and your free professional installation. And the best part, the pristine digital picture and sound. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. So, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Disable the cable, cut costs, and get more. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Take the first step in home security. Install the Door Sentinel. Standard locks, deadbolts, and security systems can't prevent forced entry. The Door Sentinel provides door kick-in protection and can be added to your existing security system. The Door Sentinel is easy to install and will turn your home into a fortress. Make the call. 678-648-6757. That's 678-648-6757. Or visit them at sentinelsecuritygroup.com. sentinelsecuritygroup.com. Democrats, Republicans, have you had enough? Want real change? Then change yourself. Join a new political party formed to liberate the American people from the banksters who have overthrown the republic. If you agree with maximum liberty, limited government, and traditional morality, then you agree with American third position. Get more information now. Call 800-513-4928 or go to a3p.me. That's A, the number 3, p.me. It's time to take America back. Meet Jerry D. Hi. Jerry and his family, like you, are very concerned about world conditions and have gathered many emergency preparedness items, including turtle tough shelters. We have added two 24-foot turtle tufts to our supplies and feel very secure knowing our large family is ready for whatever the future may bring. Turtle tough shelters are not tents. They are permanent yet portable four-season geodesic frame shelters that are as strong as a cabin at a fraction of the cost and are easy to set up, take down, and move anywhere. Available in two sizes. Get your Turtle Tough Shelter and accessories included at TurtleToughShelters.com. That's Turtle, T-U-F-F, Shelters.com. Or call 801-623-3288. That's 801-623-3288. Or see them online at TurtleToughShelters.com. Turtle Tough Shelters, your all-season home away from home. 
energy. Energy and more energy. We all need it. Get the energy you need quick through the powers of wild forest extracts. Wild chaga and birch bark are the secrets of the forest used exclusively by Russian athletes. Wild chaga is the world's top source of superoxide dismutase, the critical enzyme that blocks the aging process. Chaga is good for your heart and even helps support healthy arteries. Wild birch extract is the top source of betulin, a natural sterile needed by every cell of the body. And healthy cells mean a healthy body and a more powerful you. No wonder it's known as a king of all herbs. Experience real energy and power like you've never dreamed possible. Take Chago Charge Tea with Wild Birch Bark every day and Chaga Max capsules to get the energy you need. You deserve it. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. That's 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live, focusing first on the value of social networking and whether Google Plus can make it. Now, the only thing that bothers me about Google Plus, and just looking at it as someone who has just joined up, what, a couple of months ago when you send the invite. As a matter of fact, I have to thank you publicly right. for that. Okay, so you look at Google Plus and you have this logo or emblem, Plus One. Now, if I didn't know what that was, I'd say, what? You know, I like to think that most emblems or logos have some resemblance to the product. And I guess that is a plus. But you have to know what it is for it to make any difference. I think the fact that you now, when you're kind of navigating around Google as a Google Plus user, you have that black bar at the top of your screen, and it has a little status box, which is exactly like the status box in Facebook that shows you when you have new messages and how many, um, you know, it's kind of addictive. If I see that that box has a number in it, like, Oh, there's some, some has information for me. I got to click it. I think the fact that people spend so much time on Google is going to help Google plus because you're going to see that and say, Oh, I got to use it. It's kind of, part and parcel of the rest of your digital life on Google. So by offering, even if it's offering kind of a similar service, Google is kind of the Microsoft in this, in this scenario, and Facebook is kind of the Firefox when you think about it, right? Um, or the Netscape of the uh, late 90s. When Microsoft bundled Internet Explorer with Windows, just the fact that it came installed in Windows, which everyone was using already, helped it overtake Netscape, even though there was a great argument to be made that Netscape was the better browser. Well, you know what? And One I- thing I noticed here is that Microsoft made improvements faster, and it was a lightweight browser compared to Netscape, which was always kind of bloated, maybe because they tried to stick in so many capabilities. The other thing is that Netscape originally was marketed almost as shareware, where at some point they kind of expected you to pay for it. 
I remember I mean, that. I think they were they were selling some services, but it was always it was always free. Yes, and, but there's some service, and that could be confusing. I presume they hope to make money from that. And this was another one of those crazy quilt AOL acquisitions, which never helped anyone. Well, that's true. I mean, look, AOL certainly hurt them. But the bottom line is, when it first now, you know, today, as an Internet Explorer nine, you can make an argument that Internet Explorer is finally at a point where it's on par with other major browsers like Chrome, like Chrome and Firefox, although I still like Chrome the best. But but when you were talking about the Netscape days back in the late 90s, early 2000s, there's no question that Internet Explorer was the inferior browser. It had worse standard support. It was slower, all those things. People weren't making an active choice. Of, wow, I love this Internet Explorer. It was, this came on my computer, why should I be bothered to go download something else? And I think that that kind of osmosis applies to Google because just like Windows, Windows was the operating system king and still is. Google, Google is the search king and is the king of you know Gmail, with its king of email, with its Gmail service. So I think a lot of people are going to be drawn into Google Plus simply by virtue of the fact that it's there all the time when they're using Google. It's not a bad service. It's a perfectly good service and really, in many ways, in most ways, on par with Facebook and could be better than Facebook. But at the moment, I think the bottom line is it's going to benefit a lot just from its placement. Now, speaking of the search engine giants, obviously, Google is doing very well. Their market share remains pretty consistent. Bing is showing some enhancement, but mostly at the expense of Yahoo, which, of course, has a search engine now powered by Bing. And now we have Yahoo's CEO being ousted by telephone and reporting it to customers on her iPad. Now, without getting into the technique of the firing, which seems rather insulting, where does Yahoo go from here? Perhaps they get sold. Uh, I don't know if Microsoft still wants them, but that would probably be a good move for them. I mean, Yahoo is kind of, it's, it's sad because Yahoo had some great services. They offer some nice things, but they've become kind of an afterthought in the last few years. They're kind of still there taking up traffic, you know, getting internet traffic, but they're not really, you know, a huge, a huge player. When's the last time you heard someone get excited about a new Yahoo service? Where's the Yahoo Plus? What you know, Yahoo what? services? They don't do anything. And it, you remember, at one time, you go back into the 90s, Yahoo was it. They're the it ones. Was. Right. It was. It's sort of, it's like the same story as AOL. You know, if you think about who was big, who was big in the late in the late 90s, it's not um, who's big today. And sure. that's because a, a lot of these companies... You know, they they were their big success was based on a model that doesn't work anymore, and they didn't adjust. So, what was Yahoo's big big success? Yahoo was the first huge online directory. So, I remember back in the day. I'm sure you remember trying desperately to get the Yahoo editors to put my website into their human human maintained directory of websites. And because they had that human maintained directory of websites, they could build off of it and they could offer email and they could have news and they could do all these things and they could try to become a media company. But that was their base. Their base fell apart because, you know, human search became not that important. Their mechanical search, uh, you know, their automated search was inferior to Google's. Google came along and 
one in the search space, and then Google has since used that leverage that that search to to become a bigger company, whereas Yahoo doesn't really have anything to leverage, and they've run into a problem. And now what are they doing? They're sitting around kind of putting up AP news stories, you know, hosting a few services like Yahoo Mail, but really nothing that they have stands out in the marketplace, and it just doesn't look like they're going to make anything that stands out. You know, so you mentioned Yahoo have- Mail. Let's point out something here with Yahoo Mail. Yahoo Mail had a recent update of the interface and features, but if you want the full version, it's a premium product that doesn't even include IMAP email, which is, of course, right. free on Gmail. They haven't even reached feature parity with Gmail. That's the unkindest right. cut of all. I mean, why do you want Yahoo? Get rid of it. You know, there's no, it just doesn't seem like they have a plan. And so I don't know what's going to happen to them. I mean, you look at AOL, for example. AOL was extremely well positioned in the 90s to be a huge player in the internet age because it had, you know, it, it, it owned the pipes. But then when dial up started to go away and, and other companies came in and they offered broadband and the full internet was available to people and they didn't really need AOL's uh, proprietary content, their transition into an internet company became very problematic and now they're a company that owns a bunch of blogs and the Huffington Post and whatever uh, and that's nice but apparently hasn't been as big a success for them as they would like. So, you know, if you look at these companies like Yahoo and AOL that were poised to own the world and did own the world in the late 90s, uh, they just, the basis, the technological basis for their success is gone, and they haven't been able to move beyond that. Well, I think that's the biggest argument of all. Why do companies like that somehow own the world at one time, but they can't move beyond it? Is that an object lesson that, you know, today Apple is riding high, maybe tomorrow there are things they could forget? Forgetting whether Steve Jobs is on the job as chairman of the board and still influencing the company heavily or not. Is this something that companies like Apple can forget and they sure. can hurt them? Or Google, five, ten years from now, maybe Google is going to have problems. As long as, as, long as there are still people who are out there to compete with them. Uh, I mean, after all, considering the consolidation that we're seeing in this kind of patent uh, trolling that we've had, it could it could cause problems for competitors. Thankfully, you know there was a Google, an upstart Google that was around to to take to take on Microsoft and to, and to take on the take on Yahoo. Who's who's today's who's the next Google? I hope there's a next Google. I hope that there's I hope that there's a company out there that is going to actually stay as an independent company long enough to actually be a player in the marketplace because you never know. Maybe if Google had sold out to AOL or Google had sold out to Yahoo after they tasted a little success uh, or they had been brought down by patent lawsuits, you know, we, we wouldn't have... You know, we wouldn't have the level of innovation that we do today. But yes, I think Apple and Google really do need to watch out because just because you've had success today doesn't mean that you will tomorrow. I'll tell you, we have much more to say about that and other subjects. Also, the promise or the threat of Windows 8 is going to be on our agenda. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're back in the final hour of the Tech Night Out Live with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, where he's the online editorial director, which means he's the guy who sweeps the online corridors. So the ones who do the terrestrial corridors, they're in another office. No, I don't know why I said that. I just made Correct. it Correct. I clean the online urinals. Okay, those are the easiest ones because you can have online sweet-smelling odors. It reminds me of a Farscape episode. I don't know if you remember that cult show of the late 90s and the early 2000s where there's one episode where everyone's talking about vomiting and other stuff in the first part of the episode. It got to be kind of weird. It was funny, though. But don't ask me why I mentioned that. Did you ever see Farscape? Uh, Farscape? Farscape, a science fiction... Yeah, sure. Sure. It involves a co-production with an American company, Australian company, and Jim Henson's organizations. It's adult science fiction drama, a lot of adult themes. Yeah, it was a good show. Great show with Muppets, with adult Muppets who get involved in sexual encounters and everything. Kind of a wild show. Anyway... I just recently caught up on that thing. That's why I mentioned it. Anyway, let's get back to what we're doing here because it's getting crazy and it's not making sense. Okay, but we have to realize that no company is forever on the top of the world. Apple's gone up, it's gone down, it's up again. Five, ten years, no matter if Steve Jobs were around or not, you never know. There's no predicting what's going to happen. So we'll get into what the future brings for companies Windows 8, a lot of pressure from Microsoft to really do something special here because of the rise of Apple in the mobile market and the fact that the Mac appears, for the most part, to be growing faster than Windows PCs? You know, I think think Windows 8, obviously, is a huge, huge, huge release from Microsoft. They need to try and get some momentum in the mobile space because they're not seen as as a big player in the tablet space right now, and their Windows Phone Seven, you know, has been kind of slow to ramp up, uh, and they're kind of hoping that they can show the world that look, what we can have one operating system that works on tablets and works on on laptops and works on desktops. We can have a touch friendly interface. And I think the question is, are they going to be able to accomplish that? And are they going to do that without alienating their current core, their current customer base? Because this is an example of a co- company who was heavily invested in the technology that isn't as valuable as it used to be. 
So Microsoft obviously was the huge winner in desktop operating systems. Windows still controls the majority of the world's computers, but tablets and phones become more important. They're not a leader in that space. So this is the abject, abject lesson for Apple. Apple is a leader in phones and tablets, and they're doing pretty well on the desktop. But what's the next big thing, and are they going to be a leader in that? The next big thing is probably the cloud. I don't know if Apple's going to be a leader in the cloud. I don't think Apple knows. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it that much difficult. Okay, what do we know today about Windows 8 other than picking up some stuff from Windows Phone 7? Well, we know that its primary interface when you first boot up is not going to be the start menu and the desktop and the windows with the close button and the minimize, maximize button that we've come to know and either love or hate over the last 20 years or so. It's actually going to start off with a tiled home screen that looks a lot like a phone or tablet operating system. Uh, and you're going to be able to either tap or click on tiles uh, to get to applications. So that's going to be a really big change for people. It's There's like Launchpad under Mac OS X Lion. Yeah, it's like it is. It is basically it's like a you know a touch friendly you know tile based system like we've seen on a lot of you know a lot of devices. However, they say that it's going to be equally friendly to use with a mouse and keyboard. Uh, I'll be the judge of that when I actually get to download a beta version of it. And my guess for, for your audience is we're going to see uh, the beta version coming up at the Build Conference, uh, which is September 13th to 15th uh, or the 16th. We're going to see, uh, you know, they haven't said, but I'm, I'm, my guess would be that they, they would release the beta at that time. So they've said they're going to talk a lot about uh, Windows 8 at that conference. Now, and one I thing I want to ask you about this here, one of the interface features supposedly is more emphasis on a ribbon-like presentation, this controversial ribbon in the file viewer on Windows. Is that something that's correct or just a rumor? Yes. No, not a rumor. It's been shown on the Windows 8, build blo the Windows 8 blog uh, that they, they, like the, they like that ribbon interface, so you can expect to see it. I mean, today in Windows 7, you see it in Paint, and you see it in a lot of the built-in Windows applications, and you can expect to see it everywhere, including Explorer. Uh, obviously, for those of us who are, who are kind of nerdy, we don't like it that much because it eats up screen real estate. Uh, but Microsoft has said that it actually uh, is good for wider screens now that we're all on 16.10 and 16.9 screens, mostly 16.9 screens on the newer notebooks, that it actually takes advantage of the wider screens and doesn't eat up as much of your screen real estate as you think. Uh, plus, you can hide the ribbon, or there will probably be ways to hide the ribbon. Uh, so what they're really trying to do is they're trying to aid in discoverability of, of functions. So basically hiding the menu bar aids in discoverability because that's what I see. That's the disconnect. Well, I think their point is if it's in your face, you'll click it. So I think it could help, uh, possibly help someone like my mom 
Uh, although maybe not, but it could possibly help her because she might say, oh, well, here's the copy and paste. Now, if you've been using Windows for any length of time, you know that it's under the edit menu. But there's a lot of people who don't know that. And for particularly for... So rather than have a menu, you have a button in the ribbon that says copy. Correct. Okay. So basically you're taking the contents of the most used functions from the menu bar and you're sticking them in the ribbon. But then if you've got too many icons there, it can be just as confusing, isn't it? I find it's confusing. Absolutely. I hate the ribbon. I mean, I'm trying to be objective and fair about this. I don't want just to be using the Mac. I have a Windows environment. Frankly, most of the time it's through Parallels Desktop on a Mac, but it's the real Windows 7. It has great performance. Maybe I can't play games like on a raw Windows box, but it works pretty well. I'm getting a real Windows environment there. I get to see what is going on. And the first thing I want to do is restore the menu bar. Because if you've trained people for, what, 25 years to use a menu bar, and here are the functions, and now saying, no, if you have to look at all those crazy icons, remember which icon means what. Oh, there's the copy thing. And there's a semblance of a ribbon in the Mac version of Word. Okay? Now, I look at that, and a lot of the functions I want to use in the menu bar are suddenly stuck somewhere in that ribbon. i got to spend an extra second or two trying to find them. And I think that works against the seamless functionality of the application, and it might be the same for Windows. I think Microsoft's making a mistake. I think that they, for better or worse, decided that they were going to go with that mistake around 2006. They started <laughs> right. working on Office 2007 because once they committed to the ribbon in Office 2007, and then they blew it out in Office 2010, and they started to add it to you know, to things like Paint and Windows 7, you knew that the ribbon was the future, whether you like it or not. Now there's probably going to be a generation of kids that grow up not knowing what the menus mean and knowing what the, where to find stuff on the ribbon. What I think we should all do is learn keyboard shortcuts and minimize our ribbons. Well, of course, that goes back to a bit of retro there. You know, we remember from the 80s and 90s, all those wonderful keyboard shortcuts. And now they're telling us, no, not keyboard shortcuts. It's gestures. Ladies and gentlemen, the real news today is gestures. We have to talk about gestures. We'll get back to gestures, hopefully not the one that we can't say on radio. Don't forget to write us, news at technightowl.com, news at technightowl.com. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Hey, neighbors. Meetings are an essential part of any business. You know, making presentations to clients, collaborating with your colleagues. Well, make them as simple as possible to run and organize. Use GoToMeeting by Citrix, the easiest, most reliable online meeting service. With GoToMeeting, you can schedule an online meeting in seconds. Attendees can join with just a click from anywhere. Meeting materials are viewed on everyone's screen. Making collaboration seamless. 
GoToMeeting is so easy to use for you and everyone joining your meeting. Plus, with GoToMeeting, hold as many meetings as you can for one flat rate. You have phone conferencing and voice over IP are included. You know, my listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, a month of unlimited online meetings free. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST. Hi, everybody. Jason Lewis here. Once again, for my friends at Midas Resources, these are hard times for investors. You don't know which way to go. Is the market going to recover? Is the Washington spending machine going to continue? And that means a lot of debt and maybe printing money to cover the debt. They call it monetizing the debt, but that's a fancy way of saying inflation. And a lot of people are worried about that. So you need the ultimate inflation hedge, and that's gold. Now, let me be clear about this. Commodities fluctuate in price. They can go up and down. Very volatile. There's no guarantee. But if you want the ultimate inflation hedge, you need to talk to my friends at Midas Resources. The number, 1-800-686-2237. If you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to have it in your possession, call Midas today at 1-800-686-2237. It's Midas Resources, 1-800-686-2237 for gold and tell them Jason sent you. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA, but Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes... 
We have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightall.com slash radio. That's technightall.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. Back with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at laptopmag.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. We're talking about gestures. Okay, gesture support, enhanced gesture support for Windows 8. Now, one of the criticisms we have of OS X Lion, there are too many gestures. Who's going to remember all those gestures? So, of course, Microsoft wanting to be better than Apple will have even more gestures. What do you think? I think it's fine as long as you don't need those gestures to get around the operating system. I mean, after all, every time they add a new way of interacting with the user interface, as long as they don't make it something that you absolutely need to get around, it's good for the power user. So we were talking about keyboard shortcuts before. You know, what Microsoft has said is that they're going to maintain, if not grow, the number of keyboard shortcuts in the file explorer. Well, if they grow the number of gestures, that's fine as long as I can still, you know, as long as I can still do what I want without them. So if there's a gesture, you know, to just switch between open windows, and I don't know what that gesture is, or I can't perform that gesture on my touchpad, that's fine as long as I can get there some other way. I'm still using a keyboard at home that has no Windows key on it, and Microsoft introduced the Windows key to keyboards, what, 10 years ago or more? That's fine because you don't actually need the Windows key to do anything in Windows. You can use it to get to certain shortcuts, but you don't have to use it. And as long as gestures are are optional in that way, it can only benefit the user to give them another way of of getting to the same content faster. Well, I guess we'll see where the gestures go. But as I said, people, even experienced Mac users, have a problem with that. Okay, so Windows 8, we'll know more next week and probably the next time that we have you on the show. We can talk about the ins and outs, and maybe I'll stick a developer beta of Windows 8 on one of my computers or in Parallels desktop because the nice thing about Windows is when Microsoft presents betas, a lot of those things are public. It's not an NDA where you're going to have the Microsoft police come to your front door and rip apart your PC. They'll let you talk about it. They'll let you use it. Of course, with Apple, they put things under beta operating systems, but, you know, you talk about it and they catch you. They do anyway. You're going to be in trouble. Let's look at other developments in the world out there, the mobile world, We have the Ultrabooks, and when we think of Ultrabooks, we think of the MacBook Air, that Apple is the pioneer. They found a way to make an affordable, very thin and light notebook computer with a lot of power. Obviously, they're selling about as many as they can build. So then we have Ultrabooks, which is Intel's answer to the MacBook Air? Yep. Intel is basically saying that other companies besides Apple should go out and they should try and build thin, light, fast responsive, long-lasting notebooks. Well, we have seen, obviously, ultra-portable notebooks in the PC space for a number of years. So this is really not that new, except that Intel is making a push, and they've come up with a brand name, Ultrabook, and they're investing $300 million into capital funds to try and help help uh, companies sort of develop more technologies that will move this forward. Now, that's interesting, though, before you go on about the technologies. Apple didn't have anybody giving them $300 million or putting in any special initiative. They use their own in-house development team to build the MacBook Air, to perfect it, to bring it where it is today. But now Intel has to produce a reference design for all the other PC makers. Why can't they roll their own? 
such a good question. And I was reading some articles about it this week, and it seems that Apple was willing to go out and kind of design custom motherboards and custom uh, chassis and things for the air, whereas I think a lot of these PC manufacturers are kind of buying things off of the shelf, buying motherboards off of the shelf, and buying you know wireless cards off of the shelf and all the peripherals off the shelf. And when they're plugging them all together, they they use up more power, they take up more space. They're not, you know, making the co- cohesive effort investment that Apple is. So I think that's kind of the problem. I think a lot of these uh, PC OEMs kind of move in a herd mentality. Intel's trying to steer that herd. This is why Apple is a success and Apple is an innovator because they're willing to make the investment and say, we're not just going to wait for some other company to decide our destiny. We're not going to wait for a product category to prove itself before we invest in it. I mean, I think I think the problem with a lot of companies, and both in the tech space and outside, is a lot of companies are reactive. They won't build something until they know there's a market for it or until there's some kind of a push for it. Apple doesn't sit there and wait for users to tell it, hey, I want a tablet. Steve Jobs or or the other folks at Apple sit there and say, ah, we're going to create a category here. Now, isn't that also part of this focus by some on things like focus groups, where Henry Ford was once quoted as saying, well, if we listen to focus groups or whatever they would say, we would have built a faster horse and buggy not a mass-produced car. Right, exactly. It's. I think the problem here is that if you want to be a leader, you can't just see what the market has done so far. You can't just run a business and say, I'm going to wait for myself to experience some success before I jump in. So I think a lot of these companies, they've made half-hearted efforts to, to build you know, low-end 11- and 13-inch ultra-portables. They haven't marketed them. They haven't tried to really prove to the user that this is a valuable category. They just kind of sit around and react, and that's why we see so many 15-inch clunker notebooks because you know we've got a very reactive PC ecosystem, not a proactive one. We've got a bunch of people out there who are buying basically laptops to replace their desktops. They go to Best Buy, they see a 15-inch notebook for 500, 600 bucks. It's sitting there on the shelf, whichever one has the shiniest screen, a lot of them will buy. And that's what the industry is kind of, you know, based on. And Apple is really smart to say, we're going to try and build a premium product. We're going to try to appeal to people's higher level instincts. We're not going to, we're going to try and create something that people want, as opposed to just trying to kind of rehash what we've heard, what we've seen that they want already. Intel is trying to kind of drive this forward, and I give Intel credit for doing this because I think we've all seen what the MacBook Air is, and, you know, I do give Apple a lot of credit for that, but, you know, we'd like to see it, obviously like to be able to get all kinds of computers that offer that kind of thin and light uh, behavior, that kind of long battery life. It's actually not unheard of. I mean, we've seen for a number of years notebooks like Lenovo's ThinkPad X300 series, which is now the ThinkPad X1, and we've seen, uh, you know, other notebooks out there like the Deladano, which are really thin and light. The problem is that most of them are super expensive. You're talking 1500 to $2,000. So Apple's so basically turned the meme of the expensive Apple gear on its head because their MacBook Air is 
priced the same or less than anything that hopes to compete with it? Well, to be fair, the Air starts at nine ninety nine right now, and that's for the eleven inch one, which is really kind of small. We, you know, I would get the thirteen inch, uh, which you know, which is a few hundred more than that. But you're right. A lot of these ultra books that we're seeing are coming out with estimated price tags of eleven, twelve, thirteen hundred bucks. They're going to have to get those prices down to seven, eight hundred bucks to to really see an impact. I go Plus, into this all- more in a moment. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-877-804-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes your free HDTV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade, and your free professional installation. And the best part? The pristine digital picture and sound. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. So, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Disable the cable, cut costs, and get more. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with pre-pass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without pre-pass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try pre-pass free. That's 888-401-PASS. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. 
this. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. The difficulties of the PC makers in trying to compete with Apple on price. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. Now, one thing that Apple does, of course, and this is one big reason why Tim Hook is now CEO of Apple and not just operating officer, is supposedly he made these humongous deals with suppliers to keep the cost of production down. Apple has to make a minimum profit on everything they sell. The MacBook Air, they've got to make a certain level of profit on every unit, and that's why they price it that way. And if they want to price something lower, they have to find a way to build what they consider the same quality for less money. The PC makers don't make nearly as much profit. You have to look at, for example, what HP was making on the PC. They were making, what, single-digit profit margins, probably a fraction of what Apple makes on each Mac sold, even for models that are comparably priced. So... Is that also a problem that the PC makers have not figured out efficiencies in manufacturing to be able to give you more value for your money, not just rush to the bottom? I think that definitely is an issue. I also think it's it's a mindset, right? You, You have to have... As a PC maker, you have to have a mindset of I'm going to I'm going to be known for premium products. If you look around the PC ecosystem, you're right. It is kind of a race to the bottom. I mean, who's really winning in the PC space? You've got people like Hewlett Packard, which whose parent company wants to get rid of them, but they're actually they're actually up there in PC sales because they've hit the best buys and the Costco's of the world, selling five six hundred dollar notebooks. You've got Acer, who is really good at pricing things cheaply. I mean, I I wouldn't. I was actually kind of surprised to hear Acer's Ultrabook. I think the rumored price is kind of high, but I bet you, I bet you Acer is the first to really to really lower the price because Acer somehow knows how to make things really cheaply. You know, you look at Dell, obviously great at making things cheap. The but their profit thing? margins are not nearly as good as what Apple can do on gear that's comparably priced. Part of it is the license, is licensing the software. I would say, you know, obviously. They've got to pay that that money to Microsoft. That's an issue. But yeah, there's obviously some intricacies to the supply chain that they haven't 
master, and it's kind of surprising, but I know that trying to get inexpensive parts is a big is a big issue for them. Last fall, I was I got to visit the Lenovo campus, and they showed us around, and they have a lab at the Lenovo campus where they go and they do a teardowns of people's, of competitors' products, and do competitive analysis. I'm sure all the manufacturers do this. And I and we would myself and the other journalists went to the lab. We're like, oh, are you tearing these down to see what the competitors might have done better, or, or what you know what you could learn from them? And, and they were interested in that. But I have to say, their their main goal was to see what kind of components did, did our competitors use, how much did it cost them, and can we go and get a better deal on those components next time we go to China and negotiate with this manufacturer? So it is kind of a an ongoing issue for PC manufacturers to try and get components at a, at a low price. And I think Apple has obviously mastered this. I mean, you're getting flash memory basically on the motherboard, really blazing fast flash memory in your MacBook Air. The price of SSDs is still extremely high, and a lot of these Ultrabooks are going to not come standard with SSD, which is going to hurt the platform a great deal. Now, of course, if Apple is buying you know, a lion's share of the world's market in terms of production of solid-state drives, it only leaves the breadcrumbs for everybody else. Well, I mean, I think... There's obviously, you have to see it, see the, the production of DRAM ramping up. I mean, Intel obviously has, has its own set of resources. It works with a lot of people in terms of man flash. We have seen, you know, flash memory drop a little bit in, in price this year. I mean, we've seen, at least we've seen the end products, SSDs, get quite a bit cheaper. But that's something that people are really going to have to embrace if Ultrabooks are to take off because, to me, the biggest selling point of the MacBook Air is how fast it starts. I mean, that thing starts in 15 seconds. That's something else that we will expect to see with Windows 8, though. We expect, I totally expect Microsoft to help get the Windows boot time down to 10 seconds or less with an SSD and maybe 20 seconds or less with a hard drive. Those start times are really kind of the layman's way of measuring system speed. Well, even though other processes may take longer with a slower processor, yeah, so much is disc-related. Wouldn't it be nice if we never had to worry about hard drives, about the mechanical problems with hard drives, never have to replace a drive? So solid-state drives is a great promise. When do you think there'll be a point where I can go in and buy a Mac or a PC with a 256-gigabyte or 512-gigabyte solid-state drive that's actually affordable and only slightly more expensive than the mechanical hard drive equivalent? Uh, well, it's not this year. It's probably still not next year. Last year, I was saying that this year we would see a dramatic drop. Obviously, it's not dropping fast enough. Maybe, maybe 2013 or 2014. Uh, you will start to. See, I think we will start to see the large capacity drives become affordable. What I think we will see in the next year or so is more and more and more PC makers giving you both a solid state drive and a hard drive because of the new NSATA standard. Uh, it's quite possible, although only Lenovo has really messed with the standards so far, and they haven't really come out with. The products that have it made them readily available. You know, you're supposed to be able now to actually put an SSD on a chip. It could be 120, 
20 gigabyte SSD. It could be, you know, a 60 gigabyte SSD on a chip uh, that doesn't take up a lot of space in your PC and then also put in your hard drive so you'll have both and this SSD will be your boot drive and program drive. Now, that's what Apple is doing, by the way, with custom configurations of the iMac. So if you get the 27-inch iMac, you can get it configured with a 256-gigabyte solid-state drive for something like $600 extra or $500 extra, I forget. And then the regular hard drive. So, of course, you put your applications, your disk-intensive stuff, your operating system on the solid-state drive, and your extra stuff, your photos, your documents go on the other drive. I think we will see the small drives, this, you know, the 120 and less, I think within a year, I mean, right now, you can get a 120-gigabyte SSD on sale sometimes for 180 or 190. Uh, so I think within a year, you will see that size go, go to $100 or less. That's not very impressive, uh, but that will, that will help. Um, I, think it's, I think it is going too slow because the capacity for NAND flash manufacturing is not keeping up with the demand. Uh, so maybe we'll see 2013, 2014, uh, you know, the kind of pricing on, say, 512 gigabytes that people are looking forward to. Of course, by that time, you'll probably have, you know, five terabyte uh, hard, hard drives uh, commonplace. We have but four, by the way, now, four terabyte drive just debuted for something like $250 and an external drive? Right, yeah, Seagate just released the first four terabyte. Uh, I have to call Seagate and get one in here. That sounds incredible. People people are really impressed with those, but here's the question. Where's all that data coming from? Like, you know, if you're a professional and you're running a radio show and you want to keep the archives of, high-quality archives of every show you've ever recorded, everything you've ever recorded. I could see you you doing the four terabytes. But you know, I don't keep the high-quality version. I keep the streamed version, the one the public gets to hear. Because if I had to do that, I'd have here a terabyte or more of data just on the shows. Remember, we've been doing weekly shows now on the Tech Night Out Live since 2002. We've been doing weekly shows on the Paracast for almost six years now. And we're talking about each set of files being a couple of gigabytes in size. So I don't do that because, frankly speaking, we have a fairly high-quality streamed version. It's good enough. It's almost satellite radio level, which is fine. I think that's good enough. And that's what we keep, except for the most recent shows. So I'm maybe being derelict in my duty there. I'm just trying to be practical. I can't keep everything. Otherwise, I'd be going crazy. This is the crazy Gene Steinberg with the not-so-crazy Avram Pilch on the Tech Night Out Live. Hey, neighbors. Meetings are an essential part of any business. You know, making presentations to clients, collaborating with your colleagues. Well, make them as simple as possible to run and organize. Use GoToMeeting by Citrix, the easiest, most reliable online meeting service. With GoToMeeting, you can schedule an online meeting in seconds. Attendees can join with just a click from anywhere. Meeting materials are viewed on everyone's screen. Making collaboration seamless. 
GoToMeeting is so easy to use for you and everyone joining your meeting. Plus, with GoToMeeting, hold as many meetings as you can for one flat rate. You have phone conferencing and voice over IP are included. You know, my listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, a month of unlimited online meetings free. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System system today complete with two black berkey elements for only 231 dollars and the berkey guy will ship your order free of charge with the purchase of a berkey light the berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only 39.99 that's over 30 percent off the retail price call the berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today OpticsPlanet.com is where discerning gun owners and outdoorsmen go to gear up. OpticsPlanet has the best selection of rifle scopes, red dots, night vision, holsters, bags, and tactical gear on the planet. With always low prices, free shipping on most orders, and expert customer service. Go to OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN to get a free gift with purchase. That's OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN. Or call 800-332-OPTICS. 800-332-6784. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold is outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. What nutrition are you missing that's leading to the four major diseases? Cancer, arthritis, heart disease, and Parkinson's. There are at least 80,000 medical studies that show a lack of the protein glutathione to be linked to cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. In all, at least 68 diseases. What is the number one food by which your body is most empowered to increase its glutathione production? It is undamaged whey protein from grass-fed cows. One World Whey is truly the first undamaged whey protein powder on the market. All other whey proteins are damaged by heat, chemicals, and filtration. One World Whey is now the standard by which all other whey protein powders can be measured. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit oneworldway.com that's one world w-h-e-y.com the gcn radio network providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio g c n great talk radio starts here do you know what's going to happen next well here's the tech night owl live with Gene Steinberg. 
You see, I'm the crazy one here because I do the paranormal radio show. Avram is sensible. He knows better. He knows what's real. I have to think about it. Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, final segment of the Tech Night Out Live, talking about the ultra books, the promise of ultra books, producing them. Let's go into one more thing here. The implosion of HP's WebOS. Boy, that was a rush. They come out with the product. Within a couple of weeks, they're having rebates already. They cut the price $100. And a couple of so many weeks later, we're going to stop selling that product. We'll give them away at $99. Oh, wait, so many people want them at $99. Let's produce more. Do they know what they're doing over there? doesn't sound like it. It sounds like they're being extremely reactive. And they're really showing why... You know why they're not a leader, or why their CEO is. It's it almost seems like he kind of apothecary just kind of came in there. He was from a software company, I think he was from SAP, and he decided, okay, we're going to make HP into a software company now. And he was just kind of waiting for the excuse to do it. And so now he's going to do it. Hopefully, somebody buys HP's uh, you know personal services uh, division, personal technology division, and treats it the way that Lenovo treated IBM's ThinkPad division because Lenovo has been really excellent in building up uh, and building upon the ThinkPad product line. And hopefully, someone will do the same for HP, someone who who really loves and wants them. Uh, but right now, it's kind of clear their corporate parent doesn't love them enough. The, their abandoning of WebOS is, you know, really kind of shows sort of a mercurial decision-making process, like 49 days and we're getting rid of it. Wow, that's that, that's just uh, incredible. Now, you know, HP says that they're going to license WebOS to another vendor or someone else who wants it. I don't know that there's a big player out there who who's going to want WebOS now, uh, I mean, obviously, it's got a nice fan base. And ironically, do you know what the number two selling tablet is right now after the iPad? It's the HP Touchpad. At $99, yeah, they're giving it away. In fact, when my son was here from Spain for several weeks, and when this went on sale at $99, he tried to get one from one of his friends in Spain. But, you know, there are three apps for it. It's not so usable. At $99, it's a curiosity. You know, maybe it'll be worth something 10 years from now, but that's about it. It's a curiosity. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, ironically, uh, HP announced this week that they're actually going to produce another batch of them to try and meet this demand, but they haven't said whether they're going to cost $99 or or more. And $99, they're losing money on the production costs, so I kind of doubt it. Uh, that they're going to still charge $99 for it, but they've actually built up a user base. It kind of shows that if you price something effectively, like, you know, really cheaply, you can build up an ecosystem. Sure, but the problem being there, at some point, you have to make a profit. Microsoft does that all the time. They sell products or they give them away almost. They try to build a customer base, but at some point, you have to monetize it. So if you bought the touchpad 99 today and tomorrow it's 199 they're still losing money. I think yeah, the break-even point is three ninety-nine. <laughs> yeah, the other problem is they use—they didn't use the best hardware. I mean, the operating system is okay, but the the hardware on the touchpad is not good. I mean, they've got a lower resolution screen than most of the competitors. They don't have—they don't have a camera. Uh, I mean, it's sure. The, it's also slow. Yeah, I understand the darn thing was slow. And it's and it's slow and, and slow and crashing. I mean, I start typing on this thing, 
and I, I have one on my desk right now. I start typing on this thing, and the letters come out like five seconds after I type them. That's completely unacceptable. So it's a useless piece of garbage, folks. It, I mean, it, if you it, want it, to send me one, I'll borrow it from you and have a look at it and play with it. But I know I'll play with it for about a half hour and say, eh, take it back. And I think that's the problem with these products. How do you compete with the iPad to sell the same product or something that looks roughly equivalent for the same price or higher when customers get them the operating system is slow and buggy what's going to happen with research in motion i mean some of the investors and stockholders and everybody they're saying sell the company yeah that i mean i wouldn't be surprised to see them be to see them be sold soon uh, because when investors talk, companies like this have to listen. Unfortunately, RIM has a bad habit of not listening to people. If they were listening to the marketplace and listening to their customers and listening to their investors, they probably would have been quicker to change their smartphone strategy. They probably would have come out with a better tablet. They probably wouldn't have had Mike Lazarus go on TV and start becoming all defensive. Uh, so... It's uh, so I, I think Rim is in a, is in a boatload of trouble, but they have a nice customer base. But this is an example of a company that hasn't kept up with the times and hasn't kept up with technology. So someone would have to would have to buy them to basically transform them. I think they're going to have to maybe do a Nokia and and really think about. Do we even want to go with? Uh, I mean, their plan now is to just replace the BlackBerry OS with this new Qnix-based OS. I think the window for coming out with new mobile OSs is really uh, dwindling. They might want to see: Do we want to hitch our wagon to, to some to somebody else's operating system like Windows Windows Phone Seven, or? Is there, it's the fact that they have an install base for the BlackBerry OS appealing to someone else. You know, who, who buys them? Is it maybe a company that is not a big player in the mobile space right now, uh, but wants to be and is a big player in the hardware space? You know, is it, is it somebody like, I don't know, is it, is it possible? Is it somebody like an Acer or an Asus? Uh, I would say Hewlett Packard, but Hewlett Packard is on the block itself. You know, going to you know if they acquire. I mean, it actually would make a lot of sense for someone like a Lenovo if they had the money to acquire to acquire Rim and try and kind of build it into sort of their you know combine you know be the kings of of uh, enterprise and then try and really build on the enterprise quality. Uh, audience for the for the BlackBerry. The Let me ask you that. You just raised an interesting question about possibly Lenovo buying BlackBerry. What about Lenovo acquiring the PC business from HP? Then they gain total dominance. They're not that an American be- company, so there'd be no Department of Justice affair, would there? I don't think so. Um, but again, I don't... I mean, here in America, Lenovo is... I mean, they're obviously they're rising and they're doing pretty well, but I don't know if they have the money to acquire an HP or, or even a RAM. I'm not really sure what their financial situation is. I think that they're something like number four or five right now. So they would have to, obviously they're big in China. If they had the money, it might make some sense for them to think about it. I mean, I mean, HP certainly has been, has the distribution and has been successful in getting into Best Buy, which has been a problem for Lenovo and so on. But they would have to have the cash or the stock to do it. And I'm not 
not sure that they're a big enough company, a big enough company to do it. I mean, obviously, the obviously getting the consumer business that HP has would be very beneficial to them. Uh, but I think more beneficial to a company like Lenovo would be how do they break into the mobile market here? And, and for that matter, for a company like Dell, I mean, Dell wants to acquire them. How do they get? How do they get? I mean, yes, Dell makes phones, and Lenovo makes phones in China and just started to come out with tablets, which, by the way, is a real problem for HP because they have no mobile strategy whatsoever now that they've given up on WebOS. I mean, somebody's going to want to acquire RIM just because you can't stand still in this business and just be a PC maker anymore. So well, that might be the only hope we see for research in motion and the salvation for the BlackBerry, although maybe not necessarily for the tablet market, but this is something that time will tell. Avram Pilch, tell our listeners where they can find more of the things you're up to. Yes, check out my weekly Geek's Geek column on laptopmag.com slash geeksgeek. And, of course, you can see all of our reviews and tips and news at laptopmag.com. Hey, tell you about the stuff that we do. Go to technightowl.com. That's technightowl.com. And I do kind of a discussion this week about the value of patents, whether they're too broad-based and all that kind of stuff, really complicated issues, which we try to simplify. You can find us on Twitter at Tech Night Owl. Tech Night Owl at Twitter. And you can write us. News at TechNightOwl.com. News at TechNightOwl.com. And one more thing. The other radio show about UFOs, things that go bump in the night. The Paracast at Paracast.com. That's Paracast.com. And from the Tech Night Owl Live, a special thank you to Avram Pilch for joining us on this week's show. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.